Hello everyone, you're listening to Coffee with Matilda, A Journey to Self. Today I have a special guest, her name is Kia Baker. She's a host of a Female Veterans Podcast. She's a coach on London Real Academy and she's a Navy veteran. Kia, thank you very much for coming to my show. How are you? I'm absolutely lovely, and it's a true honor to have been invited. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I know a little bit about yourself, so I'm sure my listeners are um, waiting for your story. So please let tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your life journey. Well, I was born in Pennsylvania and mm-hmm. in Philadelphia to a um, unfortunately dysfunctional family. And uh-huh. it gave me a very um, difficult start in life. Mm-hmm. And I was then accepted to a private school, um, Milton Hershey School, when I was uh, eight years old. And I went when I was nine. And I lived there at the school um, most mm-hmm. of the time um, until I graduated high school. And it was a very interesting life because the school was in the country actually in a dairy farm in a dairy farm town. And oh, wow. <laughs> yes, actually, it's it's where they make chocolate, Hershey chocolate. Oh, my God. And so you were eating chocolates all the time. <laughs> yes, Good times. <laughs> yes. And, of course, the, the, it's a small town. The mm-hmm. street lamps are shaped like Hershey Kisses, and it smells uh-huh. of chocolate in the summertime where uh-huh. the chocolate factory is. And the town was actually created to um, supply the factory with workers and also milk from the dairy farms. So um, it was a very sort of idyllic upbringing at the school mm-hmm. because it was set up to be like a family, a family style environment. Interesting. But, um, at home in the city um, of Philadelphia, it was a lot rougher. So it was mm-hmm. like a dual life, an interesting contrast of city to country of, you know, idyllic to dysfunction and that gave me a very um interesting perspective on life at an early Mm -hmm. age and when i graduated high school i knew that i didn't want to be home i didn't want to be in that environment Um, my mother suffered from both of my guardians actually um suffered from mental illness and Uh that's what made the dysfunction and my father passed away when i was only seven years old so there was oh, wow. no escape from um, the chaos, abandonment, and neglect that was occurring at my home life, except for away at school. So um, after I graduated school, I went to the military because um, being from an impoverished household, my mother could not afford to pay for even application fees to university. And that is, was my dream. I just wanted to go to college with all my heart. And um, my mother said to me, you know, I always wanted to go to the military. And the military is the way you set a firm foundation for life. And you are strong and able to go. You need to go serve mm-hmm. your country. And, um, and it will pave the way for a, good, a great future for you. And I believed her. I mean, she said that most presidents, and it is true, um, it, and historically, it's been a value to their yeah. campaigns to have served. And so um, 
And so off I went to the United States Navy. She wanted me to go to the Army, but as a rebellious teenager, I was like, I'm choosing where I go. And so <laughs> off to the Navy I went because the recruiter made it sound so fun. And it actually was pretty fun. So yeah, oh, I had amazing. a tough time, but it, it, was, it was a good time until the day that it wasn't. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and um, I had a tough time while I was in. I'm sure, uh, I mean, in military, you've learned a lot. Uh, actually, one of the things that I always tell myself, I'm a little bit not disciplined. And I always think, okay, if I would have gone to army or a military school, I would have been like organized, had a best body, and I would have, you know, done things proper way and on time and everything. I would have been on top of my life. Uh, but I'm sure I would have just started crying at the first day if they make me up at five and do things. Yeah, like 3 a.m. The first week of boot camp, you have like two, maybe an hour of sleep. It's ridiculous. It's very, it's, it's programming, it's training, and it's a lot. And I'm pretty sure I cried <laughs> a lot um, wow. the first week of boot camp. But you know what? I built an amazing camaraderie with the girls mm -hmm. that were there. I learned about girls from all over the country and things I didn't know, you know, mm -hmm. and we all became, became kind of like sisters to the point where when boot camp was over, we were actually sad. And, oh. um, yeah, and I, I went on to train more to learn a skill, to learn a trade. My trade was a hospital man, which mm -hmm. is, you know, kind of like a medic taking mm -hmm. care of the sick. And um, to further on that, I trained in pharmacy. And so I was kind of like a pharmacist by the end of it. I worked in the mm -hmm. pharmacy for the last three years of my service, and I loved it. It was amazing. But um, I struggled to cope with life on active duty because um, the programming didn't completely take for me. And I was such a free-spirited young woman and mm -hmm. rebellious at nature that it was really, really hard for me to adapt to that environment. I just didn't belong there. But I, and also I got sick and I kept mm -hmm. getting sicker and sicker while I was serving. And in fact, when I got out, I left with debilitating illnesses that I still fight hard to manage today in order to live a somewhat normal life. Ah, uh, have you seen war? Have you gone to a war zone? Well, I entered uh, the military at the end of Desert Storm. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate yeah. that they were bringing troops back when I entered. Mm -hmm. And so I actually was very lucky to serve during perhaps the last peacetime that we may ever see. So I was quite lucky when I finished the end of my eight years, um, my inactive reserve term, uh, it was just before 9-11. Oh, and wow. so I was unable to be re-brought back in. I was mm -hmm. finally completely done and unable to be drafted or called back to active duty. So I was lucky. I didn't have to go back in. Wow, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, but uh, I mean, and I know, uh, I know a little bit about your podcast. But tell us a little bit about it. I mean, I'm just fascinated and I'm still in shivering zone right now because of what you said, uh, what you explained about it. Can you tell us what, what, what's happening and why you're doing your podcast? Well, 
to understand that, you have to understand what happened when I left the military. Mm -hmm. And I'll explain that. Um, when I left the military, um, I was ecstatic. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, um, I was unwell, but I was happy to have my freedom because what a lot of people don't realize when you volunteer for service for the United States of America, probably any other military organization across the world, mm -hmm. you give up your human rights and you become property of the United States government. And that's huge. It's a huge oh, wow. thing to not be a human, to not have rights of your own. And, wow. um, and you were trained in your major role is to give and receive orders, depending on what level you are in. But no matter how high you rank, you still belong to the United States government. And so for me, that felt like a heavy weight mm -hmm. and I was dying to be free of it. And when I got out of the military, I thought, okay, I'm about to just slay life. I'm just, <laughs> you know, I've got this firm foundation that the military gave me. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to, I was going to enter the corporate world because I had found that my pharmacy training was not going to apply on the outside the way it was on the inside. So to do my same job, I would have needed to go to college and get a pharmacy certificate. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a waste of money to go to school and spend all this time and money to get a certificate for a job that I had been doing for the last three years to perfection. And I, <laughs> I, so I said, okay, I'm going to try corporate America, you know, and I went into corporate and I hated it. Um, there was not the same camaraderie. There was not the same kinship. Um, people spoke differently. People behaved differently. And I just had a knack for p picking, I guess, the worst companies to work for. <laughs> so um, I just, I hated it. And and I was sick. I was dealing with illnesses that I didn't really understand and little was known about at the time, such as fibromyalgia. And at this time, people were still saying it's all in your head. So oh. um, I was lucky enough to have even been diagnosed with it by someone who knew about it in the very early days of this illness and people knowing what it was and even, even anything about it. Most doctors mm -hmm. still didn't even think it was valid. So dealing with that, dealing with health issues, having issues, adapting to civilian life. Um, I found myself just three years after having served uh, jobless, about to be homeless, and left homeless <gasps> by my husband of five years. So I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was going to be living on the streets. I didn't know what I was going to do had been laid off from my job about two months before and I was dependent upon my husband who took everything mm. oh my god left me with nothing um financially and um fortunately my friends rallied and they helped me they fed me uh, another friend said, hey, I, ha I work at this, I just got a job at this really great company. They seem to like veterans. There's veterans working here. And she said, you should apply. And 
even though I lived in Chicago, I lived in the city. Um, I commuted an hour, a little over mm-hmm. an hour every day to the suburbs to work at this job where I got hired and I was mm-hmm. able to work my way up and eventually go back to school. And all the while I would come across veterans. They would fall into my lap, right? That were in trouble, that were in need, that you know didn't know how to get their benefits. They didn't know how to apply for their education benefit. They didn't know how to get enrolled through VA medical care. They didn't know things. Mm-hmm. And I had been learning them this entire time. Yeah. And so I just began helping them. And it was just something I did. I would be on Facebook and I'd see a veteran say, you know, I don't know if I can go on anymore. And um, especially after 9-11 and all these wars started. And I would say, hey, listen, I'd reach out. Um, uh, take your meds sometimes. <laughs> you need someone to talk to like just even the littlest thing, because a lot of times veterans, they have such a unique experience, but there's a stigma associated with seeking mental health assistance. So, and some, and they don't want to speak to like sometimes a spouse or a mother or father or a friend that hasn't served because they don't really understand the unique situation that we live in. Mm -hmm. So talking to another veteran is optimum and sometimes saves lives. And oh, wow. so this is what I did just because for 20 years and last year, my kids got a bit older and I realized I had more time on my hands and mm-hmm. I wanted to do something more. And a friend of mine, my, actually my business mentor and I were having lunch in Los Angeles and we were talking about, you know, my next moves, what I wanted to do. And I was talking about female veterans and she said, you know what? I feel like you're so passionate about veterans. You should do something with veterans now that you have time. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. I love that. And she was like, you know what? Let's, and she, and she said, we were talking about homeless veterans. And I was like on a whole soapbox about how no veteran should be left homeless and not have their basic needs met. And she was like, you know what? I feel like we should go pass out food to homeless veterans. Maybe we can find some female veterans to feed. So we went to the veterans, um, the vet center and nearby and spoke to the outreach coordinator, a lovely lady named Sharon. And she told me it was really great that we wanted to pass out food, but what the female veterans really needed was a voice, someone to break down the culture of silence surrounding their stories and let the public know that they're out there, that they're living on the streets, that they don't get donations, that they have to take what's left after the men. They don't get shoes or clothes or boots or anything because people, the public, don't think of women as veterans. So they donate things for the men. But those women who have largely experienced some sort of trauma or PTSD that has left them with a mental health issue, who oftentimes, what I've learned from interviewing, that these women are escaping dysfunction to enter the military and create a better life for themselves. So when things go wrong, like a rape, and they're thrown out of the military. They are thrown out? Well, this is... This is like, I cannot believe, Kia, what's happening here. It's not always that they're thrown out. But oftentimes what happens is 
when something like this happens, they can be expedited out of the military with a personality disorder diagnosis because they don't, they are then perceived as like a problem. They perceive, the woman is perceived as a problem and the man is. And oftentimes the guy gets away with it or a slap on the wrist. Oftentimes, not every time, but it it has happened. A this lot. is crazy. This it is, is crazy. I don't I don't understand this. Yes, it is absolutely crazy. First of all, I don't understand what happened. I mean, people are serving their country. I mean, they're giving their life to the country for the freedom, so they have to come out and have an amazing life. They deserve it. They, they at deserve least it. Have their basic needs met, at least and at government the bare minimum. And government is not taking care of it. I don't understand. How is this possible? Well, there are programs, but a lot of times when you come out, so for example, if you are a military sexual assault survivor and you leave the military, whether you choose to get out on your own accord because you don't want to re-enlist anymore Mm -hmm. or because you can't bear it in anymore, so they allow you out for a mental health reason, or they perceive you as a problem and they expedite your transition out, Um, whatever the reason that you come out, sometimes you just don't want to have anything to do with the government. You gain such a distrust So even though that there are programs in place to help them, they won't go anywhere near them because they have such a deep, like, distrust Mm -hmm. and feeling of betrayal by the U.S. government that they won't even utilize the services. It's a very tricky, difficult situation, which is why peer support is so important. Oh my God, Kia, what you're doing is just very amazing. I, I, hope, I hope there's a lot of um, women like you that, that there are veterans that they can, you guys can join and, you know, there help are. these women. I mean, yes, we're joining, I, we're joining now. Yes. Amazing. I'm very happy <laughs> that you guys are doing this. Otherwise, you know, you're a voice for them. You're a voice for... Mm-hmm. And that, and that's that's what led me to the London Real Academy is the desire to give these women a voice, and that's what led me to podcasting. And the females veteran, the female veterans podcast exists to be a platform for women to share their stories, their real, true stories, good or bad, about their military experience. Because every single story matters. Everyone is important to let the world know that we are here. This is what we go through as women who served our country. Oh, wow. And you talked about the rape as well. It's like, this is scary. Well, you know what? I didn't go into it to talk about that. It just happened. I just wanted stories. I just wanted to hear what boot camp was like for them, what their military experience was like, how their transition out was like. Because to me, when I initially thought of this, it was about transitioning out, how difficult it had been for me to transition back to civilian mm-hmm. life. And all the veterans that I had met over the years sharing the same story. It was so hard to get back to civilian life. I had a, such a hard time getting back on my feet. You know, I missed this. I missed that. I felt like my family was gone. I didn't understand the civilian world. Like, just whatever it was, the transition was so hard. But what I learned was when I started interviewing these women, so many of them had a similar story and it was military sexual trauma, PTSD as a result, or 
or harassment or stalking or misogyny or something along those lines. Then it's about the transition out. Some of them had an amazing experience serving their country, but then when they got out, they were like, oh my God, what am I going to do with myself? They're lost. I don't know who am I yeah. am without the identity of being in the military. So there's so many facets to each woman. We're all different. And so many stories that of what we've experienced. So good or bad, some, they have some, some value to add to the girls that are coming behind them. And I tell them when they say, I don't know if my story is important or who's going to want to hear what I have to say. I tell them, listen, you don't know who's, who's going to use your story as their survival guide. Oh, Every okay. story matters. And so Very that's true. why the Female Veterans Podcast exists. Oh, wow. It's amazing what you're doing, yeah. And um, I want to ask you all, for all this time, I'm sure you have so many difficult moments in military. And as you said, you came out and for you, it was a struggle to come back to a civilian life. Yes. Tell me, how do you define self? How did you, how do you discover yourself? Have you ever, have you ever um, had a, like a journey to, to yourself kind of idea? Yes. Um, I think the journey to discovering myself began when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. That was the first part. I had no identity to speak of until I was maybe 16 or 17. I started Mm -hmm. to really, you know, try to figure out what I liked, try new things, try, you know, to figure out what music I liked, what, what really made me laugh, like, be who I wanted to be and not, you know, follow the crowd. Mm -hmm. And so as I grew up, um, and, and, and especially it was difficult in the military because by then I had kind of developed a strong sense of who I was and who I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. But still, this is still at a superficial level because I think that, um, yourself, who you are inside, is a very complicated and complex thing. It is, yeah. So um, I have been on that journey since my whole life, I will say. And um, I think it's, it's being able to understand who you, who you are on a soul level, mm-hmm. to know what your purpose is, and to know how to feel happy from within Mm -hmm. and to carry that joy into the external world instead of seeking joy from the external world to bring it in, to heal, to heal yourself and to heal any traumas. I think it's, it's understanding that you do need to go within. And I think a, a lot of that journey for me has been meditation and that started a little in journaling, a little mm-hmm. by little. Um, I started journaling in my junior year of high school. And so uh-huh. that's kind of where it started. And then I started with meditation um, in my 20s. And I did experiment with some like microdosing and stuff like that that actually helped me become, that was really expansive and for my mind, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, to like really give me sort of a portal mm-hmm. to 
to my inner self, you know? So I think that was a really, really beneficial for me, the whole plant medicine journey and microdosing to really understand who I am. And I've continued. And, and of course I relapse and, and lose who I am and then refine myself again. And it's been happening my entire life long. But I think that right now I am the most connected to my, my source, to myself. You know, very nice. Yourself right now. You seem like it actually. Your energy and your confidence, and it's very. You have a very fem, very nice feminine energy to it. Your, I feel your divine energy is very active. <laughs> Thank you. I've been really working hard for the last year <laughs> to get into my feminine energy because, as a girl of the '90s, we were taught. You know, we're. You know bad bitches you know what I mean? like yeah we are we are you know we handle our own stuff we kick indoors we take no prisoners mm. we are the women of the 90s we were very feministic and very powerful women and mm. that is masculine energy so exactly. in order to take charge you have to get into your masculine energy so the problem with that is that we get so into that that we forget our softer feminine side and mm -hmm. it gets lost and so to, just like you need a balance between light and dark your shadow self and your light self you need a balance between your masculine and feminine energy mm -hmm. whether you're male or female exactly. and I, I am a work in progress I've been working <laughs> on it for the last year so thank you for acknowledging that yes yeah, because I feel it and I was like wow and you've been in the military and you've seen all these ups and downs it was a roller coaster from your childhood broken house and military coming out have being a sense of um you know you didn't know who you were when you came out of military because mm -hmm. all this up and down and all the challenges but um amazing that you found yourself and you saved yourself within. I think uh, what my podcast, I want to sh share with my podcast is when you heal yourself, your outer world is healed. So it doesn't matter what's happening outer world. When, once your inside is fixed, the outer world is in balance. That's right. So, it's like we said before, um, if, you are, if you find love for yourself, Mm -hmm. then you can attract better things to you. Exactly. That energy shines from the outside in. So, yeah. Very nice. <laughs> yes. So, um, tell us, uh, do you have any regrets in life? Uh, regrets. Um, so, my entire life, I have tried to not have any regrets. Mm -hmm. I, I have worked so hard not to regret any of the decisions that I make because I think that we make the best decision that we can at that moment. Uh -huh. So I try not to regret anything that I've done. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that there have been times in my life, if anything that I regret, is I have been hasty in my decision making. So um, I think that's probably my, my biggest regret is sometimes moving faster than I should and making decisions faster than I should. Very nice. 
that's um that's a very nice lesson actually no i mean to learn to know that if you do that it will be better for you yes not to hate nice um so if we can finish the uh, conversation and um no i'm gonna ask you one more one question one more okay. question perfect if you continue the way you're continuing right now what do you think your 80 year old will tell you <laughs> this i love i love this question because i am a huge believer in the regret theory that's mm -hmm. and i'm averse to it <laughs> i'm averse i'm averse to having regret by the time i'm 80 so um in that framework you look back at your life when you're 80 years old and if there's anything you regret so i try to think every time i make a decision would i regret this if i was 80 years old so i love 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 this question and um i don't know looking back over my life from 80 i don't know there's still so much more life to have mm -hmm. you know i don't know so i think it seems like you're doing such an amazing job, you know, uh, there have been a lot of, um, you know, setbacks in your life, but you've overcome, overcame them in a, such a powerful and strong way. And I think one of the ways that you've, you've made it happen is by you connecting with yourself and being more in tune with yourself. And even when you were saying in military, you felt like that's not your life. The reason you had that acknowledgement or you, the reason you had that kind of awareness, I think it's because you're, you're in tune with yourself. Otherwise you wouldn't even realize it's for you or not. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't always been in, in all honesty. I mean, I definitely spent um, probably 10 years in my thirties. Um, I was really sick. So I was really struggling, you know, and I've dealt with a lot of depression and I've dealt with anxiety from having these illnesses and not, and not feeling like I was accomplishing the things that I wanted to accomplish. I mean, mm -hmm. I did finally go to school. I earned a master's degree. Like, Ooh I, <laughs> you know, I did, I did things while I was sick that I could do because I yeah. couldn't really fully live life. But when you can't, fully live life and you feel unwell and in pain on a daily basis, there's, it's such a negative energy. It has such yeah. a negative impact. So I definitely have had many struggles in my life and many times I felt like hopeless and despondent uh, mm -hmm. and really struggled with my own self-worth. Like for example, when I had my son, on um, my firstborn and I had postpartum depression. I had postpartum depression for three years. I didn't even know. My family did an intervention on me and sort of just put me in the car and took me to mental health at the mm -hmm. VA. And then I had to go on meds for a while and try to figure that out, you know? And so I was lost. There's definitely been periods of my life that I've been lost. But what I can say is how I always find my way back to me is through meditation and through journaling. And, oh, wow. and even a meditation for me could be walking my dog and just clearing my mind mm. or taking in nature. Um, I live in the Pacific Northwest because it's the, the forest gives me peace. And so it's meditative for me to just go sit in the woods 
and, or, and just be surrounded by all the trees or take a walk on the trail. And, um, and these things, just being able to go it within and get in, in touch with my inner self always grounds me and brings me back. I mean, especially because I'm empathic, I'm affected by other people's energy. And it also took me a long time to, to acknowledge that and understand that and to be able to ground myself and realize this isn't my negative energy. I just absorbed this person mm-hmm. who just yeah. needed to talk to me because they were upset. And so I have just spent this time trying to make them feel better, but now I'm down. Why is mm-hmm. that? You have to transmute that energy or ground that energy out. And so that I can feel better because, and, and just knowing these things about myself, the more I know about myself and I'm more self-aware, yeah. then I can feel better. And then the journey to self-love is something entirely going even further you know, to just knowing your worth and feeling like you're enough, then that is still a journey that I'm on. I mean, I'm pretty well into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, with meditation and journaling and, and just realizing that, you know, that I deserve to have a good life. I deserve to live a life that I love. And no, right. and you have to be self-aware to know what it is that you love. It's what you love, not what people want for you. And also to be strong enough that when you start waking up to this, because it's it's kind of like I always say that you. People, <laughs> I always say that people people say that, you know, people say they're woke, but I think that being woke is like really when you wake up to what your soul's purpose is yeah. and what your soul truly loves. And people around you sometimes will think you're crazy because you might be successful and have the best life to what everyone thinks, but you're miserably unhappy. Like Brian Rose was before he started London real, you know, and you wake up to your soul's purpose and then you go in a different trajectory. And sometimes you lose people from your life and sometimes new people enter and it's an, it's a journey, but I think that it's really important to, to do that and to wake up and to feel self-love for yourself and to feel self-aware in order to live your best life very nice so if we're gonna i mean we have to wrap it up and if we want to learn one lesson from you from this fascinating journey that you had in your life like from your childhood to military to now your amazing life with podcasts that you are connected with so many amazing women and you hear their stories a lot just Give us one lesson. What do you think that one lesson is? Life lesson. Know your worth. Well, I think that's the base of everything, no? Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're, you, you are high value. And the first person who has to think that is you before anyone else will. Amazing. Amazing, yeah. Thank you very much. There's so many questions that I would love to ask, but I know the time is not when we pass the time. So I'm um, thank you and thank you so much for being in my show. I'm sure. I mean, I'm in awe of you, uh, your life story, how you came out of it, and how you're strong and wise woman like this. I mean, it's amazing, and you're helping so many other women. Uh, in America and I'm sure other in other countries like veterans in other countries they will benefit 
they they might have same stories as well. We're all women and we're all connected. So I hope many, many people can hear your story and they can learn from you and from other women that they're sharing their stories. And I hope I will have you uh, on my show again. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> thank you very much. And um, thank you, my audience, for listening to us. And um, follow me for next episode. Thank you. Goodbye.